Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. This weekend, we close out this series where we have been talking about joy. And I pray as you have experienced a wonderful Thanksgiving, I I pray that it was a holiday that was full of joy, that you've been able to make some new memories with your family and your friends. Um, Somebody, did you see that little meme out there that said, be sure and set your scales back 10 pounds before Thanksgiving? I'm feeling that right now. How about you? And, uh, but it's just that time of the year, wonderful memories made, wonderful joy, I pray, uh, will be in, uh, in your life. And you know, really, as we think about this Thanksgiving season, as we're moving now into the Christmas season, you really have great gratitude for those that you have. You begin to realize how blessed we are. In my dad's church, they used to sing an old hymn, um, Count Your Many Blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. And sometimes, you know, we need to pull the groans out of our prayer and push in a few hallelujahs. And we need to stop long enough to say, God, you are not only good, but you have blessed me in so many ways. Sometimes you need to count your blessings. And so the holiday season affords us that opportunity to be grateful uh, for uh, those that we have. And then it also reminds us as we grieve over those that we've lost. And the season also bears with that. There are those blessings on one hand and those burdens on the other. And you know what I found in my life, maybe you found it in yours, that you can be grateful for those you have and you can grieve for those you've lost at the same time. Those emotions are not mutually exclusive. You can absolutely have both of those emotions going on at the same time. Everyone in this room, I guarantee you, have someone who's in heaven that you miss during this holiday season and you'll continue to miss them. That that never goes away. And that doesn't mean you're not grateful for the people you still have in your life. It just means it kind of it just kind of is what it is. In fact, there was a beautiful promise in John 16 verse 20 when Jesus was talking about going to the cross and he was really saying that you're going to sorrow. You will sorrow but you won't sorrow without joy. He said, eventually, the thing that you sorrow about will be the very thing that brings you joy. Now, he was talking about the cross. And in John 16, 20, he said, you're on this side of the cross. He said, you're going to sorrow. You're going to weep. You're going to mourn. But he said, when you get on the other side and you realize there's an Easter, there is life beyond the grave, the very thing that brought you sorrow will be the very thing that brings you joy. And God has an ability to take the thing in our life that has brought us so much heartache and transform that in such a way that in time, it can bring us joy. Now, I've told you before, I don't know that we'll have full joy until we're in the presence of our Savior, simply because there will be some mysteries of life that we'll never be able to understand. And if you wait uh, to pursue joy until you've figured it all out and you've connected the dots, friend, you're never going to have joy. 
because there are some of those mysteries that you and I will not understand until we step into his presence. And once we're in his presence, our minds will be perfect as his mind is. We'll have the mind of Christ. We'll understand the whys and we'll understand the hows. And all of those mysteries will be made plain. But until that time, I don't want you to be in a valley of sorrow without experiencing joy. I don't want you to go through life with all of its mysteries and trials without experiencing joy. I want you to know it is possible to have joy in the midst of sorrow. It has a lot to do with your perspective. Corey spoke a little bit about perspective. It's just kind of how you see things. Because sometimes we can see things the very wrong way. I heard about a young pastor. He had been called upon to do his first funeral. Now, if you've been in ministry very long or if you're familiar with ministers, uh, that's a stressful time. And yet this first funeral that he was going to be able to preach was going to be a graveside out in a little countryside cemetery. And he found out a little more information that helped kind of lower the anxiety somewhat. He found out that the man really was just a pauper. He had no family, no friends that they knew of. So he was going out to do this memorial service at the graveside just to honor and respect the man whose life was now gone. So he tried to find his way out to the little country cemetery. And finally, he looks and he sees this little cemetery off in the distance. And he sees these uh, men working around a backhoe. In fact, they had stopped working. They had stopped digging. They were out under a tree eating lunch. So he just went out, spoke to them, and on his way uh, to the little uh, grave area. And he began uh, to preach. And as he was preaching, he just felt, man, I, I just feel inspired, you know, to give it my best for this man, whoever he was. And so, man, he's just preaching this sermon. He goes on for 20 minutes. He's crying, even though he didn't know the man. Uh, he's giving God praise. He has this wonderful prayer. And he walks away feeling like, wow, I did the best I could do. And as he's walking by the crew, sitting under the tree, he overhears one of the men say, I've been burying these septic tanks for 30 years, and I've never seen anything like that. <laughs> Sometimes you don't see things exactly as they are. Sometimes your perspective can be wrong. Someone said that a pessimist, a pessimist is someone who sees the dark at the end of the tunnel. You know anybody like that? They say an optimist is someone who sees the light at the end of the tunnel. They said a realist is someone who sees the freight train coming through the tunnel. And they say the train driver sees three idiots standing on the track. <laughs> well, how you see things is so important. And I say that to your heart because you and I will not see things always as they are as much as we'll see things as we are. Uh, how you are and where you are in your life right now will color cloud, it will jade your outlook. How you see other things and how you see other, other people. And I say all that to say the Apostle Paul had the right perspective. He saw things clearly. He, he wasn't living, you know, with a illusion that things were, you know, better than they were because he was going through a dire circumstance. He was a, a realist. He saw things as they were. And yet Paul had this in, uh, incredible ability in the midst of a difficult, dire circumstance to experience enormous joy. And joy is such an important thing. I, I read a stat I wanted to share with you. The Institute of Neuroscience and Psychology in Glasgow, they said there are only four foundational emotions. 
four foundational emotion, emotions, and they said three of the emotions are negative. It is fear, anger, and sadness. And they said the fourth um, foundational emotion, of, uh, emotion is the only positive emotion, and it's joy. So you're either dominated by fear, anger, and sadness, or by joy. Now listen, it's not true because they said it. They said it because it's true. <laughs> and joy can be a dominant emotion. If you have your Bible, let me, let me share with you how I think this works. In Philippians 4, if you don't have a scripture, look at it on the screen. In Philippians 4, here's what Paul said. Don't be anxious about anything. Now when I read this little narrative to you, Notice the times you'll hear the word thing show up. Listen to the things. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every thing, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever thing is right, whatever thing is pure, whatever thing is lovely, I told you there's a lot of them, whatever things are admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And finally, whatsoever you have learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and if you do that, the God of peace will be with you. Now, I think the reason Paul highlighted that word things is because the things of life are the things that can rob us of joy. The things in life are the things that can rob us of peace. And everybody in the room and everybody watching me is going through something right now. It might be a good thing, it might be a bad thing, it might be a happy thing or a sad thing. Everyone has something in their life that probably is dominating their thinking. You're trying to be into the service and listen, and you're trying to find something that will help you function a little better this week, and yet you have this thing that's going on in your mind and heart, and this thing is so dominating your thinking that it is difficult to get past it to even experience worship or even to tune into a message. I understand that. And I'm telling you that the things in life that you and I face are the things in life that can rob us of joy. And Paul had a great piece of advice that he gives us in this narrative to help us deal with those things. Are you ready? Number one, here's what he said. Worry about no thing. <laughs> Worry about no thing. Verse six, be anxious for nothing. You know the word in the Greek, anxious, or our word worry, it means to be pulled in different directions. To be pulled in different directions. When your mind is anxious, when your mind is worried, your mind's getting stretched, you're getting pulled in different directions. And the Bible says don't allow your mind to be pulled in different directions. Don't, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious for anything. Now we've, I've given you this uh, to this, uh, given this to you before, <laughs> uh, and that is the two things you should never worry about. I think Corey may have touched on it last week. You, you should never worry about the things you can do something about, right? If you can do something about it, then quit worrying it about it and go do something about it. Uh, if there's someone you can reach out to, is there something you can do? Is it within your power? Is it within your power to change the circumstance? If so, don't worry about it. Uh, put, put, it, it put practice, um, put some action behind your prayer 
and do something about it. The second thing you shouldn't worry about are things you can't do anything about. If you're powerless to change the thing you're anxious or you're worried about, then simply don't worry about it. Worry about no thing. I read an interesting story. It's, uh, she's a world uh, champion, extreme skiing champion, Kim Reichel. And when she was being interviewed about her success as this extreme uh, ski champion, she said, uh, they were asking her, how, how is it when you're skiing through those trees that you don't hit them? You, you, you've successfully navigated some of the most dangerous terrain without any serious injury. You know what she said? It was pretty interesting. She said, I don't look at anything that I don't plan to hit. In other words, I don't look at the tree. If I look at the tree, I'm going to hit the tree. So I, I try not to focus because I know my body is going to go where my mind is focused. Now I thought, man, that's pretty profound right there. If I'm worried about certain things and my mind is focused on those things, I'm going to move in the direction of my mind. So I have to learn this discipline this morning to worry about no thing. And then he comes to the second idea, and he says, the way you, you learn not to worry about no thing is number two. He said, you learn to pray, pray about all things. So the best way to overcome worry is to connect it with prayer. Um, what are you worried about? That's what you should pray about. What are you anxious about? That's what you should pray about. Somebody said, Bill, I just don't know if I have enough time. I don't, I don't know if I can spend five minutes in prayer. Well, you could. <laughs> Think about the thing that makes you anxious, the person that makes you uh, anxious, the thing that makes you worried, the person that worries you a lot. Spend time in prayer. Pray until the anxiety goes away. Well, I'll make you a prayer warrior. I mean, just simply focus on your prayer life till that anxiety goes away. You know what you're doing when you're praying? You're removing that anxiety. You're removing that worry from you to God. You're pushing it toward him. You know, if you go, go into the gym, they have what they call resistance training, where the weight comes down one direction and you push the weight off of you, and the weight comes back and you push the weight off of you again. That's a lot like prayer. The problems of life are pressing you down, and you push those things back up toward God. Problems of life, anxiety, worry, press you, you push that back. You know what you're doing that time? You are strengthening some spiritual muscle. You're gaining some spiritual resistance. You're learning how to overcome some things that used to bring you down. And so he's saying here, pray about all things. Listen to John 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Now, let me stop long enough to say this is not a blank check. I hear people misquote that because they don't quote all of that. They say, well, just anything you ask, God will give it to you. You know, healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? That's what I want. So I'm going to ask God. He's promised right there, Lord. You said you'd give it to me, but read all of it. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. And here's the, here's the caveat. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. God said, I'll let you have this if ultimately the Father is glorified through it. Now, what does to be glorified mean? The word glory is an interesting word. It is a, a, a Christianese word, <laughs> a word we don't use a lot. Glory just means to be a reflection of everything God is. Uh, it really, in Ephesians 3.20, he says, unto him be glory in the church. That means the desire of Paul was for everything God is to be seen in his church. We're the body of Christ. So when we become a reflection of who God is collectively, we as a church are bringing him glory. 
When I can become a reflection of who God is individually, my life is bringing him glory. And so he's saying, I'll let you have this if at the end of the day, in giving you this, the Father will be glorified. In other words, I'm going to let you have this because God is going to get glory by you receiving this. Now, if that's the motive and all that lines up, the Bible says, God says, just ask me and I'll let you have it. And so prayer is such a powerful thing. Prayer has the way to supply your every need. Listen to James chapter 4, verse 2. You have not because you ask not. God said, have you tried to pray about it? I remember hearing somebody say, well, Bill, I believe you ought to pray uh, to God about big things, but I just don't see bothering God about little things. I heard that question was asked to this old pastor that I remember hearing when I was a kid, and he had a great response. He said, can you imagine anything you would pray about that would be considered big to God? Now, to us, it's huge, but can you imagine anything that you pray about, God would say, ooh, that's big. What's my point? My point is there's nothing too big for him. There's nothing too small for him. If it's big enough to get on your radar, if it's big enough to affect your peace of mind and cause you worry and anxiety, then that is the thing you should pray about. And he said, you don't have the answer because you're not asking. Listen to another good one here. They're all good, but I like this one. Uh, in uh, in uh, John 16, again, verse 24, ask, Jesus said, you will receive, now listen to this phrase, that your joy will be full. The way to fullness of joy is through prayer. So when I'm full of anxiety, then I'm doing the wrong thing with those things. When I'm praying now, I'm doing the right thing with those things, and God begins to remove the worry, and he begins to add to the joy. And then notice the third thing. What do you do with the things? Well, I don't worry about them. Number two, I'm going to pray about them. Here's the third thing. I'm going to be thankful for everything. Again, in verse six, be thankful for all things. Listen, when you fully trust the Lord, you can fully be thankful because you realize God will either allow or he'll cause everything that you and I experience in life to happen. And if it happens, it happens for a purpose. It happens for a reason. When you really believe verses like Romans 8, 28, when he said, all things work together for good, he didn't say all things are good. He said, all things have the power to work together for good to those who love God, those who are called to his purpose. Some of you may have cooked some desserts over the last few hours, and, and some of you cooked from scratch. Boy, that's amazing that you do that sort of thing. I remember my grandmother, man, she had cooked from scratch. She'd get, she called it a pinch of this and a dab of that. She never mentioned anything. I mean, never measured, rather, anything. Never went off of a recipe. She just knew how to make stuff. And I remember Cindy wanted to learn how to make some of the stuff. And so she'd go over to my grandmother and she, when she was cooking, Cindy would say, before you throw that in there, let me measure it. And so she'd get a pinch and Cindy would get Mama's pinch and measure the pinch and write down what that pinch was because her pinch was different than her pinch. So she had to get the right measurement on the pinch. And I'm saying, if you pulled out some of those ingredients and you tried to eat them independently of all the others, it might not be that good. Might not taste that great, but when you get all those ingredients put together and the right amount of heat put on them and the right amount of time given to them, they have a way of blending together. Now, I'm not sure that's what Romans 8, 28 had in mind, uh, cooking, but I, it, it struck me that that's kind of what life is like. 
You take a good and the bad, the happy, the sad, you begin to blend those things. And the Bible says God has a way of allowing those things to work out ultimately for our good and for his glory. And then verse 29 of Romans 8 explains it. He said, because ultimately, you know what? I'm trying to conform them into the image of my son. He wants people to see Jesus living in me. He wants, to see, he wants people to see Jesus living in you. And so he'll use those elements of our life, blend those things together. So my point is, when you really understand that, that God has a reason and there's a purpose and there's a, there's a plan, He's not just some cosmic killjoy that's looking down out of heaven, finding happy people to make their lives miserable. God has a purpose and a plan. And if you believe that, and if you can understand that, then you can be thankful. You can say, God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know according to your word, it will work out. I don't know how this is going to benefit me, but you said in your word that it would ultimately. And so, Lord, I trust you. And I am thankful for all that you're doing in my life right now. And man, an attitude of gratitude will change every element of your life. So many of us become so grumbly hateful instead of being humbly grateful. <laughs> and so we just need to say, Lord, help me. Sometimes you have to get on a stepladder so you can see the bottom of what you're trying to get over. But I'm just suggesting that if you can trust the Lord in the midst of what you're going through, in the things that you're dealing with right now, and you can say, God, thank you. Thank you that some way or another you're going to work this out. Thank you, God, that you've, you've never failed. You've never failed. God doesn't lead you into something he can't lead you through. God doesn't bring you to something that he cannot bring you through. And so when you get that in your mind and get it down in your spirit, then you can have this benefit of being thankful for all things. Listen to what James 1, 2 says, count it all joy when, now listen to this, you go into trials. When you understand the context of James' writing, it was during the, 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 the diaspora, the scattering of the church. The church was being persecuted, and the church was being driven into, uh, trying to be driven into oblivion, but they were literally just scattering the embers of the church that set fires all over the then known world. And James was writing to Christians who were discouraged, and they were hurting, and they were looking at their life saying, I don't deserve this. Why this? Why me? Why now? You ever felt that way? And here's what he said, count it joy. Count it joy when you go into these things knowing that the trying of your faith is going to work for your benefit. God has a plan. I don't know about you, but I, I struggle thanking God on my way in. I tend to thank him on my way out, don't you? <laughs> and he's saying, man, if you can get mature enough in your walk with him to thank him when you're going in. Lord, thank you that uh, the stress is hot, heavy. Thank you that the financial pressure is there. Thank you that I'm not getting along with my mate. <laughs> Thank you that the kids are acting horrible. <laughs> Thank you that there's stress on my job. I mean, whatever that thing is, if you can begin to thank him, not because the thing is good, but because he's good, you can begin to say, Lord, I know you have a purpose. I know you have a plan. I'm not giving up on you or on this. I know there's some point, there's some reason that you bring me to this, so I'm just going to trust you. And I'm going to say, thank you. Here's the fourth thing. Paul said, here's another thing to do with these things. He said, think the best thing. 
think the best thing. There's that principle of Proverbs 23, verse 7 that says, as one thinks in their heart, so will they be. Another way you could translate that is, you're not what you think you are, but what you think you are. Whatever you think about is what you become. I've told you before, you're in this room or you're watching me right now because first of all, you thought about it. There was a moment, and I'm thankful that you're here. <laughs> there, there was a point where you said either around the table, God knows what we've eaten, we need to go give some thanks and seek some forgiveness. I mean, I don't know what motivated you. <laughs> or you just said, I just wanna be around some folks and I wanna have some worship. Uh, but I, my point is you had a thought or you wouldn't be here. Now in a little while you're gonna leave and you're gonna go and get something to eat. I know you wouldn't believe that after all we've eaten, but you're hungry, you're gonna get, brother's gonna eat again. So you're gonna go get something to eat in just a little while, but you'll think yourself there. You, your mind always precedes your actions, and I'm saying it's so important that we think about what we think about. And Paul is saying, look, if the, read that. If there's virtue, if there's praise, if there's anything positive, if there's anything good, think on these things. We can control our thoughts. A lot of things that happen we can't control that are out of our control. We can sure control our thoughts. Paul said, bring every wayward thought under captivity, under the captivity of God. Think about a bad thought in your head like a jailbreak, a jailbreak. You had that thought in captivity and all of a sudden it broke free and now it's running free in your mind. And it, it always goes to bad places. Have you noticed just a wayward thought goes to bad places? I mean, you think the worst of, a, of an outcome you're thinking this is bad and it's going to get worse and all your, your mind tends to go in that negative direction. Paul said, go and bring that thought back. Capture that thought. Bring it back into captivity. Don't allow these thoughts to have free range in your mind and in your head because we go in the direction of those thoughts. So we have to discipline our mind and discipline the way we think. It has a lot to do with the conversations we have. It has a lot to do with the books we read. It has a lot to do with the programs that we watch. It has a lot to do with our social media habits. There's so much negativity that's pounding our minds all the time. So if you're not as disciplined in your thinking as you are in other areas of your life, you're going to be going in bad directions because your mind has to be disciplined. Paul gives us some instruction to think on these things. Focus your mind and your thoughts on the right thinking. And then the last thought. Paul said, okay, don't worry about this. Instead, pray about this. You know, think on these right thoughts. Um, man, be thankful for all these things. And then here's the last thing. He said, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Make the right choices. Down in verse 9, do the right thing. Put these things into practice. Paul said, the example I've tried to set before you, follow that example. Do the right thing. I told you a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> As you go move toward a new year, I know we're all setting goals and we're making plans. Some of us have goals in our personal life, family life, business life. Everybody sets goals, and goals are great. Uh, you, you need to measure them to see how you're doing, but goals are great. But really, the, the five-year plan, remember I told you, the five-year plan is not as important as your five-minute plan. What you and I do in the next five minutes of our life will determine whether we ever achieve any of those goals. If you mess it up in the next five minutes, it doesn't matter what you've planned for the next five years. So make sure you're making good plans in the next few minutes of your life. 
I, my, one of my go-tos that I think about all the time when I talk about this is Ephesians 5.7. I'm sorry, Galatians 5.7, where Paul says, remember, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I mean, you think about that verse, it's almost a guarantee not to mess up. You want to guarantee not to mess up your five-minute plan? Walk in the Spirit. Now, notice he didn't say run in the Spirit. He didn't say hop in the Spirit, dance in the Spirit. He said, why, why walk? Because walk is something that's more common, natural. We walk everywhere. We walk every day. So I think he's using the word walk to let us associate this partnering with God as being something we do naturally every moment of every day, walk in the Spirit. Now, when I walk, I don't know about you, I try to watch where I'm walking. Have you ever noticed that you typically stumble and fall when you didn't watch where you were? You might say, look where you're going, <laughs> right? Look where you're going. Walk in the Spirit. That means being cognizant of the fact that God is in me and with me every moment of the day. I'll hear people from time to time say, man, I'm going to go get my worship on. Well, I get what they mean by that, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying not stop using that expression. That's, that's fine. But really, your, your worship happens every moment of every day. You really don't come here to worship. You bring your worship with you. Uh, worship will, no go high, will go no higher than you bring it. So bring your, you bring your worship. It, 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 it's, it's like walking in the Spirit means I can worship every day. I can spend time. I don't just have to go to church to connect with God. That I can connect with Him every morning. I can connect with noon and in the evening. He's with me. He's in me. He's in, you know, when I read His Word. Have you ever thought about this? The Bible is the only book whose author accompanies every copy. You got the author. Author. I don't understand this. We got the author. He wrote it. Ask him. Explain this to me, Lord, would you? Help me understand what I've just read. And what will happen is God will bring some illumination to your mind and your heart because he's with you and in you and he wrote the word. And when you walk in the spirit, that means day by day and moment by moment, I'm cognizant that I'm in the presence of God. Remember in school how it changed the whole atmosphere of your class when the teacher was in the room? <laughs> Wasn't as many spitballs getting shot and <laughs> not that any of us did any of that. There wasn't, there wasn't as much uh, craziness going on when the teacher was in the room, especially the teacher happened to also be your coach. I speak from experience because you're going to pay for it later on the field. But my point is you changed your whole um, demeanor and your whole activity because the authority was in the room. Walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you. That authority is in you. He's with you. He doesn't leave you. He's with you every moment of the day. And so if you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if I can just get up every day, guys, and say, look, this is what I'm supposed to do today. I'm going to begin my day spending some time in prayer. I'm going to begin my day spending my time in the Word of God. Then I'm going to order my thoughts concerning my responsibilities of the day. I want to try to really be a blessing to somebody. I'm going to spend some time thinking about who might need some encouragement and who do I know in my orbit right now that I, and I may send that text, that email, make that phone call. I've got responsibilities as you have responsibilities. We follow those responsibilities every day. What am I saying? I'm saying you just take care. Life is hard by the yard, by the inch. Life's a cinch. You heard that say? So you just say, I'm going to eat this elephant a bite at a time. I'm going to take this a step at a time. I'm going to walk in the spirit. And if I do that, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
And Paul said, when you put all this together, and I love how he wrapped it up. He said, when you put it all together, he said, verse nine, the God of peace will guide you. You'll have not only his joy, but you'll have his peace. One of the things, guys, I know you've probably found in your life that'll disturb joy is lack of peace, peace of mind. And he's saying, man, when you can put this together and you respond properly to the things that are in your life, I'm going to give you peace. And that peace is going to protect your joy. I hope you have joy. I hope in the midst of some of the sorrows that you go through in this season, God brings you joy. I would commit to it. I'd say by the grace of God, I want that kind of joy. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. You said in Isaiah that never returns void. Your word always accomplishes what it was sent to do. And so, Father, I pray in the hearts and the minds of those in the room and those watching online, your word will find lodging. And Father, as we have received the word from you, I, I pray we won't just to be a hearer of the word, but as James said, help us now to be a doer of it. I pray in a few moments when we break out of this big holy huddle and we go out into the world that we'll execute on what you've told us to do. I pray you'll bring joy. I have friends watching and friends in this room, Father, who are going through some really hard times. The burdens are heavy. Father, I pray you'll give them joy. You can take the sorrow and turn it into joy. And finally, Lord, I pray for anyone who's never trusted you as Savior. Lord, I pray that right where they are, they'll swallow their pride, humble their heart, and just simply pray this prayer and say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, bring joy into my life. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.